1: You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. How are you today? I hope you're uh, doing well. Ryan, are you all right? I'm doing okay. Yeah,
0: doing okay. I'm a little under the weather today. You, you've assured me it's not COVID, so we're okay. Yeah, I got tested yeah. yesterday for COVID, and mm-hmm. it
1: wasn't COVID, but uh, just like a head cold or a sinus thing, something going
0: on. I got a tellable. I got a terrible allergy attack because the weather changed drastically is not that the worst? I uh, just wanted. Nothing worse than feeling <laughs> like shit, just feeling off. Oh my God. And it's you all know. on your face. Yeah,
1: I had to interview someone today. But well, that went fine. It went well. But I was, uh, you know, at some points I was just like, oh my God. But uh, you survived. Got a great guest today. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I want to thank everybody for uh, coming to the shows, the stage at shows. Again, I want to say, you know, uh, uh, on March 5th, we had two shows and it, we did really well. A lot of people showed up and uh, thank you for supporting my band sunspin. And uh, also if you want to follow the podcast, it means a lot. If uh... thank you, by the way, for spending your afternoon with us or just an hour with us a week, it's not asking much, but there are a lot of choices and, You choose to be here,
0: and I really appreciate that, so thank you. Uh, What are the handles for our podcast, Ryan? Oh, they're at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook.
1: That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's also an Inside of You online store. If you want to go to that, just go to the Inside of You online store. we got great stuff like Smallville Signed Lunchboxes from Tom and myself, uh, Inside of You mugs, tumblers, a bunch of stuff. Just go look at it. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Also, a big shout-out to all my patrons. Uh, They give the... Uh, give back to the podcast in many ways. And if you go to Patreon, P A T R E O N, dot com slash inside of you, you can join the wonderful family. There's different tiers and things you get from me and YouTube lives and all this stuff. And I will, uh, as soon as you join, I will send you a message thanking you inside of you. It's called, it's patreon dot com slash inside of you. Mm hmm. And uh, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you writing a review if you like the show. Uh, today's guest is, uh, you know, I didn't really know much about him. I didn't know much about Josh Peck. And uh, he's got a big following. You know, he talks about being a child actor and how to, how, how he had to grow out of that. And uh, just, you know, being on drugs. And he was very open and honest. He has a new book out. And uh, I really enjoyed having him on. Wasn't he, wasn't he fun? He was good. He was, and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So let's get inside of Josh Peck. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience.
2: I know Ryan. Do you? Yeah, Ryan. uh, Reynolds? No, I'm not that fancy. Ryan Filippi? I had I saw him at a fancy LA eatery once. Felipe and, and the worst the worst part was my mom got there first. So I walk in and I see her talking to Ryan Filippi. He's with his beautiful children. Right. And my mom, as I walk in, goes, You know my son, he's famous too. And I'm like, Oh God, mom.
1: Your mom did that. <laughs> this is the worst intro ever. Oh man. Is your mom Jewish? i think that's safe to See, say. i'm a jew so my are mom you? my mom would do that shit it's all the my same. my grandmother would do that shit she feels the urge to anywhere we are and it's been years i mean like oh, the, the people she's talking to probably don't know smallville <laughs> you know or whatever or some things that i've done and she'll go into a restaurant and the waitress will come over a server you can't say waitress anymore i don't Fair. know what the fuck you could say anymore i can't say anything I, I just just shut my mouth because i just say the wrong thing all the time same but, year inadvertently but, you know, the server will come and go, oh, can I get you some menus? She's like, yeah, my son's famous. My grandson, he's famous. She's like, great. And it's not for <laughs> you. Like, it could be no. confused
2: as, like, pride. It's not. It's all self-serving for them. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's for them. It's for them to feel good. It's, my mom knows it makes me viscerally, at my <laughs> deepest level, uncomfortable. Do you say anything to her? Every time. Almost every time. <laughs> Big say? fights over it.
1: Really? Yeah.
2: Like literally, especially when it's when I'm having rough times and she's like pitching me, like I've got a new show coming out. I'm like, I haven't worked in 19 months. I haven't had a call back in 11 months. Not looking good for me. Might have to go, you know, find a real job. And she's like, no, no, you got the magic. And people know. <laughs> I'm like, ma, don't do this. When I'm around you, I feel bad about me.
1: So yeah. You- <laughs> When I'm around you, I feel bad about me. Is that in your book? Should be. It should be. Yeah. I like that. I mean, you've got a story, man. I you know I, what I like is that you see where you come from, and you know, obviously Drake and Josh and, and, and how I met your fathers on Hulu now and yeah. social influencer and all these movies, Turner and Hooch and Red Dawn, and like you've done so many things. And then you write a book. It's like, it's never enough. Josh is now, has, he has to be an author. Yes. And and it's author of, of Happy People Are Annoying, which is a great title. Thank you. That's a really great title because happy people are annoying. Yeah. How are they annoying to you? Well, I just, I always think, but the first thing when I think that, I think of when I'm, I'm out and I'm, you know, I'm single, I'm lonely. And then you see a couple and they're laughing and giggling and I'm like, oh, Ugh. fuck them. Oh, fuck yeah. them but that's not right because why should you be like that way about other people you want be other people to be happy but it says something about yourself in a lot of ways doesn't it
2: oh yeah I, someone said to me the other day he's like i don't like forced fun which is why i don't go to coachella like <laughs> anyone who's capable of forced fun like we're like we're gonna go to the new harry potter thing at universal studios and i'm like unironically and they're like yeah butterbeer <laughs> i'm like i don't get you
1: they're hyped i don't understand you are do you think i mean look we'll get into it but overall do you think because i can answer this are you a happy person do you feel like you are happy you've gone through a lot in your life but overall when you wake up and you look in the mirror and you're by yourself and there's nobody around you Hmm. can you honestly look at yourself in the mirror and look at your reflection go i like you i love you i'm happy
2: I think so. I mean, the conceit of the book is like where I started it was throughout most of my life. I'd look at people who were inherently happy or at least exuding what looked like happiness. And I thought, oh, like happiness is reserved for quarterbacks and cheerleaders (laughs) Cheerleaders, and like people who have like inherited money and people with six packs and like all these things. And I figured that everyone had been handed a manual for life at birth that I was just not privy to. Like I didn't get that. Right, so I was resentful at I was like, no, it's I you know, things affect me too deeply. I'm too sensitive, too analytical, too neurotic for this world right. So I would look at these people and just be like, oh, you don't get it like you're you're humming at this weird level that I'll never be at, but like where I'm at feeling the feelings, this is life.
1: this is real exactly. that's there's something truthful about that. I mean, I think you know, I, I was a short kid. I was the shortest kid in my high school. I didn't start puberty till late. I was, you know, I was picked on. I, I was not popular. And um, going through high school, I would just look around me and go, God, I wish I was that guy. It was all envy. It was like, I wish I was that guy. I wish I yeah. was the quarterback. I wish I had that girl. I wish I can get that. Guy. If that girl just gave me the chance, you'd see how funny and sweet I was. But I'll never get that chance. They're happy. I want to be like them. Yes. That's always the feeling. But I don't believe that anybody's truly happy. I think we're all trying to, like you said something about being content. Mm. What is it you said about being content? I don't it, know. it was a quote or something in your book about being content. And yeah. that's that's with yourself, just saying, I am good enough. It's like that that Saturday Night Live thing where it was i uh, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and God damn it, what does he say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. People like and me. And people like me. Yes. But, you know, it's sort of like, hey, this is me, this is what I've got, and... There's these personal traits, these personal things that these, these things that we do that we just try to escape. Like this makes, I'm annoyed at myself. Mm. I I don't think, you know, I'm like, why would anybody want to be my friend? Why would anybody want to talk to me? Mm. Why would anybody want to, you know, and you start to think that that's who you are and you try to escape it. You try to push it away. Yes. I'll have a cooler personality. I'll be cooler. I'll be quiet. I'll be this. But your real self comes out. Mm. It just comes out, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, to your point, like that it took me so long long to learn the duality of ego and being self-centered. And I used to think, much like quarterbacks, like if you're self-centered or you're egotistical, like that's reserved for high achievers. Um, and then someone would told me, like, hey, if you spend all day thinking about how great you are or how awful you are, you're only thinking about you. You're self-centered.
1: Wow. And yeah. I
2: was like, "Oh, that too?
1: <laughs> I'm also self-centered?" <laughs> oh,
2: good. But it's true. Like, I think like the ego and and I can only speak for myself, but my mind wants me separate from. Like, it doesn't want me to be a worker amongst workers. It either wants me to be like I'm somehow pleased with the performance of mine and I'm like, "Well, this verifies my suspicion that i'm the best (laughs) i'm the fucking man (laughs) or 90 percent of the time i'll see something i dislike or anything you know anything can trigger it something doesn't work out and i go i knew it this is but a preview of more bad to come yeah you know yeah and my mind just wants me all alone instead of being like yeah highs and lows that's life you know me and the next guy
1: how hard are you on yourself do you think you've let up a little bit do you think you, over the years, you've just become more like, "Hey, I'm going to be better to myself." I'm because I think that's really important to just be good to yourself, to give yourself a break, to say I'm not perfect, to say I'm not, I'm not all these things, but I am all these things. And yeah. you know, do you are you hard on yourself?
2: I am, but I, to your point, yeah, like I'm 35. I've You're
1: 35. Yeah, you look young.
2: Thanks. I man. thought maybe you
1: were like 26. Ryan, what would you think?
0: No, I, I read his i <laughs> read the wikipedia no i knew him my man see <laughs> ryan in his research, ryan, Wiki. research no, also, ryan over here no but also he walked in and i looked i looked you in the face like oh that's someone around my age because that rarely happens in here so like, yeah oh, are you are you i'm 33 but i'm about to turn 34 and you look great too right thanks man
2: you got grays we both have dark hair i got yeah. a lot of grays yeah it's, a, it's see the yours. dark hair
0: no i mean i they, they're coming in i gotta cut my head and then uh,
1: see right now i'm looking of at both you and listening to both you and thinking fuck off because <laughs> i'm going to be 50 in a few months and you and have no cool. gray hairs though well i have gray hairs right here that's it right on but my none chin on top chin- and
2: a great i mean great head of lettuce over there
1: so far they care why you get gray hairs you're oh yeah you do oh they're do all,
2: you diet no they're yeah. here i just they, i kind of put some gel in so it
1: helps like tone gel it. i guess what should i say pomade Homage, sure i you know i just was wondering what, what you used cream that was a cr- cr- cream whatever's been Loose. sent to me
2: for free like i feel like the one thing you get as an actor of any sort of di- like you could either be an oscar winner or you know on infomercials you can probably get free hair products
1: yeah <laughs> so that's true
2: i'll get you know a couple things of gel a year and be like well once these are done i guess i'll go and buy some at rite aid
1: what's the coolest free shit you've gotten?
2: Oh, I got a car for a couple months. They let me borrow a car.
1: Was this the GM? Was no, this
2: the... GM's doing it. Well, I'll, they did. I remember I'll, I had I'll some friends out.
1: that got free cars for a while, and I never was that guy. I never got that.
2: I my When my wife was pregnant, I made, because I was doing a lot of social media and YouTube stuff, so I made this video where I told my friends, like where I would tell them that she was pregnant and catch the reactions. And it's just like this feel-good thing. And it was beautiful because a lot of people saw it. And a lot of baby brands were like, need a stroller? And I was like, in fact, I do. Strollers are expensive as hell. So I got the stroller and a few other things. And Acura randomly emailed and was like, need a car for the first couple months with your new kiddo? And I was like, "Who am I to turn down Acura, parent company of Honda?" I'm in.
1: Acura gave him a free car.
2: But then, hard body karate. I hope you're listening, Acura. They like hit us up randomly, like somewhere two and a half months in, and was like, "We're taking it back tomorrow." I'm like, "No planning, no heads up." Acura, just
1: we want it back. Yeah, we're over you.
2: You didn't post enough.
1: Is that what it was? (laughs) Probably. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Hey, do me a favor. Take me back to. Take me back to childhood. Take me back to when you were a kid because, you know, I used to complain. Everybody complains about their parents and it's just like, you know, Mm. my dad's this. He's not affectionate. He doesn't say I love you. He doesn't, he's not, you know, he's not really present. My mom's this. She's off the wall. She's this. Everybody complains and everybody's got it. Some people have it worse and people, there's always people out there that have it worse. I look at your life and I'm like, your father wasn't there. Right. And your mother raised you. And that had to be hard as fuck for a little kid. Yes. Can I say fuck on the podcast? Can you? Can I, Ryan? Ryan,
0: it's your own podcast. All it? right, sure. Yeah, Thanks. I
1: say so. Thanks. What?
0: Yeah. Why not?
1: Yeah. But it, you know, it just—I look at that. and I'm like, right away. I'm like, wow. I'm—I'm I'm, I'm sort of like—I feel for you. Like you didn't have that father figure and talk to me about that. How—how how, was that pretty tough?
2: I. You know, I didn't know. I didn't miss what I had never had. So, I talk about this. In my book, and mm-hmm. it's it's much like we were we were talking about, like, my biggest issue with life and God and the universe was just how different I was. Like, I didn't have a dad. I was fat. Like, I was a musical theater kid. I wasn't good at sports. Single mom. Like, we were just, we were so terminally unique at a time where you don't want, like, you just desperately want to fit in. Even like, you know, there's no, there's not really Jew heroes when you're eight. Like there was like Sandy Koufax, but that's before my time. You're like, yeah, I know we got Einstein, but it's not really, (laughs) is there a Jew Pokemon? That's amazing, yeah, yeah. I need need a hero. And so I... (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So yeah, I, but I didn't have a resentment against my dad. I had a resentment of against God. Like I even talk about how my mom and I, She has a fear of flying. So we would constantly take trains or drive, you know, from New York to Florida. And I'm like, of course, because flying would be too normal for the pecs. (laughs) And yeah, and, and then the dad stuff started to sort of rear its ugly head in my teens. And when I was able to finally sort of face it or start cracking that anger and resentment that I had was actually when I started losing weight. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s and I found out that he had passed away and I had this wave of just sort of, I don't know if it was remorse or regret in having never, never meeting him that I was like, wait, I, I now have to mourn this guy I never met too? So there were many phases to working it out.
1: There's, There's a weird, I guess, innate sadness about that. Like sort of, you know, fuck him. He yes. wasn't here. Mom's taking care of me. I've got it. I have a career, I'm making money, I'm living my life. And then the guy that never was there dies mm. and it still affects you. Yes. How do I mean, what do you do? How do you deal with that?
2: You know, for the years leading up to that, I was like in my early twenties, I'd gotten sober and I lost all this weight. And I was like, my career was so up and down, but like, I knew there was enough data to support that. I think things are going to work out in some way. I have no idea how, but I, I've sort of made it, I'm I'm certainly the weight and height of a full grown man. And I think I might be on my way there. Right. And I was like, if I go find my dad right now, he's 86 and I'm 24 or 25 at the time. And I don't need anything from him. So what do I get? Like he gets this great kid who doesn't need anything. And I don't get the full dad experience. Like I get this geriatric dude. And I was, and then when I found out he had passed away and I, I tell this story in the book, he had no online footprint because the dude was almost
1: 90. And so- Your mom liked older dudes.
2: Yeah. Well, my mom's older. My, She's older. My mom was 43 when she had me and he was like 62.
1: Wow. She did like the older guys though. Shout out mom. I mom. say in the book,
2: like my dad was getting like Medicare and chicks pregnant.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's nice. That's nice. Respect.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Um, but I, you know, I I- I decided I knew that he had another family and my mom had met his other family, like his wife, who he supposedly was, had a well-timed separation on the one night that he actually hooked up with my mom and like his kids who were grown because he was an older guy. So a buddy of mine said, why don't we search your, your siblings, you know, their name. And all of a sudden on Facebook, like I had never, I'm 26. I'd never even seen a picture of him. And suddenly- You didn't know what he looked like. mm Mm-mm. I mean, I assumed he looked like a Jewishy Richard Gere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what you were thinking in your head. I was like, "This at, is what, what at Dad best. looks like, right, right, right?" At best, and I'll were you right? It. Not bad. Not I'm a sure. bad-looking guy. Pretty good-looking guy.
2: Nice, yeah. Okay. certainly nice. I'll show you a picture of him. I huh. carried him on my phone. You now. do <laughs> like because people wonder. They're like, "Oh, what?" You know, they. I always say, like, they're, "Your parents are like these weird genetic roadmaps," and all I had was mm. my mom, so. It felt like half of me, I wasn't informed on what to expect. Right. But but anyway, I, I find my siblings and there's all these posts throughout their life of them with their father and at bar mitzvahs and weddings. And then inevitably when he passed away, these beautiful tributes to him. And I just kind of said, you know, majority rules, like this guy had a family And it would have taken a shitload of courage to be able to tell them what had happened. And-
1: They didn't know what happened.
2: I'm assuming not, I'm not exactly hiding, but I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Otherwise I imagine my siblings might be like, wait, we have like a brother out there. He's
1: famous. He doesn't suck. He doesn't suck. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it weirdly allowed me to forgive him in a weird way. I was like, oh, you weren't like, there's more than one part of you. And what I needed you to be for me, you were—you were for this other family, and I can't be the arbiter of like the ultimate right or the ultimate good. Yeah. But, and then of course, uh, you know, because you're a dad, right?
1: To a dog.
2: Exactly. You get it.
1: I get it. Right. Yes. Human and dog, very similar. <laughs> very similar.
2: So the the <laughs> the argument could be made that that the dog is superior, but it wasn't until I had my own kid and I had to do it with him, and I was like, oh, like my dad missed all this and yeah. so he didn't get off scot-free he just messed, he messed up. up
1: yeah did you was there a party that i want him to see my fame i want him to see that i did all right i want to see him to see that i made money and then i'm i'm on my two feet and i could do this and i don't need him
2: i maybe i mean i my mom had sent him a picture of me when i was five and just sort of like um, a quick little blurb about where I was at and crushing, you know, blocks or reading. <laughs> <And>
1: <laughs> <was> crushing like, <laughs> blocks. Did he respond?
2: He No. And so I was like, oh, he turned down this like fetching five-year-old. <laughs> like, so I just figured he was probably so, I, people always say like, you think he thought about you on like his last couple hours on this earth. And I was like, I hope not.
1: I hope not. <laughs> I would have been, been like, I hope he did. Yeah. I hope he thought of me. I hope he thought about the one thing that he regretted, the one thing that he just wish he would have done differently. Yeah. And that was me. Yeah. You know, I get, I think a lot of people would think that way. But yeah. But I mean, it seems like you got your shit together and you're, you're a little more humble than that, maybe.
2: It took a lot of work. Again, I'm so damn self-centered that it's almost like I can't even think about the reasons why you know, I am the way I am, or I have the insecurities or trauma or dysfunction. I just am so, so like, I blame myself for everything, for better or for worse. Really? Pretty much, yeah. But yeah. I spin out when I do that and, and then I just go, and then I just get a case of the it. So I have to mitigate that.
1: <laughs> Two tears in a bucket, motherfucker. it. Yeah. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. So important if you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session, of course, yeah, yeah, it's just it's 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 like You were doing stand-up at like eight years old. Is that true? I was. How is that possible? Where are you doing this? I was too fat for T-ball. <laughs> like did you try to go for T-ball or you just didn't even try for sports?
2: I tried. Um, but the asthma and the weight, it just didn't asthma
1: overweight. <laughs> great. Living with your mom, your dad has nothing to do with you. I mean, these are these are things that would fuck up almost anybody. For sure, right?
2: Yeah man yeah but then i mean you're you mentioned how like when you were 14 you were feeling insecure and and was that just because you hadn't hit puberty yet i mean were you still oh, like yeah. a pretty athletic normal kid well
1: i guess i was athletic but i remember we were like played basketball it was indiana so people played basketball and oh, yeah. people would do shirts and skins oh, and i would if i was a skin i'd say guys you know what i don't feel well because i didn't want to take my shirt off because i had no hair on my arms and i remember mike curry down the street was like harry and the hendersons <laughs> and he would be like rosenbaum You've got no hair under your arms. You're like 15. What's up? Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, I'm a swimmer. I'm a swimmer. Yeah. Well, they, they we shave. We shave. So you know, it's the aerodynamics through the water. So that's what I do. Fair. I'd make up stories. I was <laughs> embarrassed. I was. I mean, I I remember crying one day because my dad was six foot five. My mother was relatively tall, and my mom was always, you know, she took a lot of Valium, a lot of. Pill. She was a pill popper, and you yeah, know, my, you know.
2: my kind of person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: and Dad was always, you know, back in the day, not when I was growing up, but like smoked a lot of pot when he was in his you know eighteen, and then he he, he had me when he was eighteen or nineteen, and my mom was twenty three. Wow. But I remember crying. I remember being in the kitchen. And going, if you didn't do so many fucking drugs, I wouldn't be so small. What's wrong with me? You're tall. You're tall. And I went and I just heard them laughing as I left the room. And I was like, God, you're an idiot. But I mean, I just, it's, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> How did Jews make it to Indiana? Uh, Dad got a job transfer. He mm. got a job transfer. And uh, it, was, it was weird. I mean, I never really felt the you know being a jew in indiana that much i think my mom probably felt it uh my dad they sensed it but i was kind of ignorant to that i just Hmm. sort of like was in my own world my sister experienced some people like, like one guy throwing a quarter down the hallway and saying go fetch it jew sure but you know i didn't yeah terrible but i i didn't i didn't i wasn't privy to that i didn't feel that in my life i had some young cool friends and um I did everything I could to get away from my parents. I would just, I wanna stay out with my friends as long as possible, play flashlight tag and and capture uh, fireflies, Uh, fireflies, is that what they're called? Fireflies, and just stay out until I had to come home. I really didn't wanna be home. You felt like that? Totally, and it wasn't, it it was just the reality of like when you have a mom who's
2: in her 50s and she's exhausted from working and solely taking a kid around all day, Like I remember on the weekends, if we did one thing and we're in New York, right? So it's not like, you know, there weren't kids in my building and like, I couldn't just go not, I mean, around, I remember around like 11, when I started middle school at sixth grade, I started taking the bus, the, the crosstown bus alone, which, you know, how old 12,
1: 12. So that was,
2: that was my freedom pass. But I remember if like my mom and I would do one thing on a Saturday, like go to the mall for two hours and. (laughs) eat at the food court <laughs> like that was it like when we got home at two we were shut down for the night and i was like fuck like yeah. now it's me and the tv till <laughs> 10. <laughs>
1: like, i was so lonely what What did she was she uh, the type of mother because i know she's a jewish mother but would she talk about your weight you have to lose weight you have to or would she just feed you and you need to eat which way did it go Well, she had always, she
2: has always struggled with food and weight. We're just, we come from a family of big people. So I knew that I saw firsthand that I was like, oh, food is an issue for the packs. Like it's just like menacing force. So at like five, six, seven years old, I would like be sitting playing Game Boy at Weight Watchers meetings that she was at just over to the side or overeaters and on. But you were
1: just there for her.
2: Yeah. Because she had no one to leave me with. Wow, But it certainly informed food was the ultimate focus and food was great or terrible. It was brisket for holidays or popcorn at the movies or let's order Chinese or it was, you know, we have to only keep cold cuts in the fridge because otherwise mom will binge. And we have to make sure there's no, like, fruit by the foot or Dunkaroos around here because Josh will lose his shit and black out.
1: (laughs) I'll find him on the floor drooling. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did you get made fun of? Oh, yeah, viciously. Really? In school at a young age, you remember being called what? Yeah, I remember at the JCC the first
2: time when I was eight years old and a kid called me a fat fuck. And I was a like, fat fuck. <laughs> How old is he? I was like, really? At our community center? Like, we're supposed to band together, guys.
1: Were you humiliated?
2: Oh, it was the, I'll tell you, it was the first thing. Cause obviously I was hip to the fact of like, oh, I'm bigger than my fellows. Like, I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have a really good attitude. <laughs> like, I mean, you're like, you have this, this sort of feeling. I don't know, you just ahead of your time that I would be just like a mess. And you're I like, well, oh, you know what? This is why this is happening. You <laughs> have always these thoughts of like, well, I have a reason for this. There's a reason for this. It feels like there's a light bulb that went, you're just a smarter kid than I was.
2: I don't know. I I think I I maybe it's the way I portray it now. Cause then it was it, and I remember when he said that, it was like the first time it wounded. And I was like, oh, like being this way is gonna be challenging. Like, yeah. This is gonna and, and I think I very soon after I made a decision that like. As an overweight person, true or not, this was what I thought: you walk into a room at a de- like at a disadvantage. People make a snap judgment about you that you're, you know, slothful. You lack control, and that it it was incumbent on me to win them over. And I think that's what inspired comedy and whatnot. Because I was like, how do I? Even – I just – I don't even want to be thought of as great. I just want to be on an even playing field as everyone else. So
1: you thought if you were doing stand-up comedy and you can kind of show them up and kind of say, hey, look, I'm not that guy. I'm funny. I've got – I'm creative. I have talent. I have all these things. So don't look at me as the fat guy. Look at me as a creative, funny – Yeah. You know, and would you make, like, in your stand-up, would you use your weight as part of the – joke you know
2: yeah like i had you know i'm sure they, they probably had it in indiana Entomins. um it was like store brand yes, pastries yes yes i don't know if it's big on the west coast but you know it's like store brand danish and donuts and huge on the east coast and one of my jokes when i was like 10 years old was i at school i major in entomology the study of entomans <laughs> coming out of a, a little fat kid's mouth they were like oh this is genius this is great so I sh- I surely was like, I'll make fun of myself first so you don't have the chance. And in doing so, hopefully win you over.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. And this is something you were telling your mom at a young age, I want to I do stand up.
2: Yeah, I mean, she was, my mom is like the ultimate sort of vaudevillian. I mean, she's, she's 77, right? So her contemporaries were Mel Brooks and right. Carl Reiner and the true greats of comedy. But she was like the self-made businesswoman um, a female in the workforce in the seventies and eighties who like had to deal with a lot of male bullshit and dealing with like weight and just all this stuff, all, all these challenges. So I would watch her take over rooms. Like she was always, very confident, always ready with a joke. Oh, just like a natural. And she was
1: overweight. Yes. Very overweight, always, like you talked about with Weight Watchers. She was very heavy.
2: She would vacillate. Sometimes she would be totally like at a normal weight and it was great. And then she could put on a a good amount of weight quickly. So it just was yo yoed throughout my whole
1: life. Did she date? Did she date? Did you see other men that came into the picture?
2: No, never. (laughs) What? Oh, she's given me that movie line. Like when I, you know, when you were born, like that ended for me.
1: She never dated after you. Not- so you don't think your mom, since she had you at 43, has had sex in 30-something years? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think about it.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think probably, but it's like, it was probably... She was in such survival mode my whole, whole life and I was just her her utter focus that if she did I'm hoping it was just a, a quick fling and I hope they were nice to her.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope they used a the rubber. Yeah, exactly. Jesus, I don't need another one of me out there. Like well how did it all start like you started doing comedy your mom notices he's got something. He's got a spark. He's funny. Yeah. And then what would you went to an agent? You had how would you get an agent?
2: I so I was reading. Did you ever, when you were starting out as an actor, did you read backstage
1: magazine? Of course, New York. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was. Not, I was eight or nine years old, and this was before stand up. And I find this guy in the classified, Sid Gold at Gold Star of course, Entertainment. Sid Gold still around. Reps Jennifer Lawrence now. No, I'm kidding. No, no,
1: no, he doesn't. <laughs>
2: yeah, Jennifer Liebowitz though. Well, <laughs> that's represents. who Jennifer Lawrence was. Sure, exactly. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, I go in and and I meet him and and the ad's like, I represent people of all ages and and he's a sweet guy and he says, Listen, I can get you placed at maybe Caroline Stand Up New York. I can get you a little stage time. So if you can put together an act. Five minutes of comedy, I will
1: get you stage time. How do you, and how old are you? Eight, eight nine? or nine, yeah. But how do you get into a comedy club? Isn't it like alcohol and things like that? What do they want a kid who's eight or nine up there?
2: So I started at afternoon shows. So try uh, doing stand-up at two. Yeah, nobody there. Terrible. Terrible.
1: So I do those, but it was like a shtick. <laughs> I just had this vision of you. I just said, so anyway, uh, entomins and um, okay, nobody has <laughs> the chicken tenders. Yeah, exactly. The thing
2: about Pokemon is like you know <laughs> can't do any crowd work because no right. one has has my references. Um, but yeah, and then as I got better at it, and I there was like, oh, there's like this kid comedian who's got this shtick. Like maybe we can we can sandwich him in between real comedians. At 11 o'clock at night, they would have to sneak me in so they wouldn't lose their liquor license.
1: Wow. Yeah,
2: like through the back door.
1: Anybody famous that you'd go after that you could recall or that was up that night?
2: I'm trying to... No, I mean, I remember I was on a TV show with with a young, before-half-baked Chappelle. Really? And I was like, I'm a comedian too. He's like, okay. What was that? All... It was the, the TV show was called Fox After Breakfast.
1: Fox After Breakfast. Tom
2: Bergeron.
1: Really, was and Chappelle host. was on that. Yeah. And how old were you? I was
2: eleven. I'll show you the picture. It's great. Oh, I have to see it. And it and Chappelle was there. He Chappelle couldn't have been
1: older than twenty four. Do you remember him being very funny? Were you like this guy's really funny?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think at that time I was like, oh, this guy'll get to my level eventually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you were cocky.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just like it, the beauty of that age where as soon as you're good at something, and especially like it wasn't being good at athletics at that age where you're probably good amongst a lot of good kids. I was such an outlier, like a good comedian at a you know, a good 11-year-old comedian was so rare. So I certainly felt like, oh, I've got this little superpower this little thing
1: and your mom saw it too did she see it as a as a way like you know you know those moms yeah they like oh i this is a vehicle this he could make some money for me and for him and this <laughs> could be great for the both of us and or was she just like do what you want to do was she always do what you want to do yes. or was she like do this she was
2: pretty she was pretty incredible about it i have to be honest like i just you know we we were so up and down financially
1: and you shared a room in your apartment you lived in you had a one bedroom and that you shared with your mother
2: yeah so like we we literally went from sharing a studio where we would switch off on like a murphy bed and the couch hmm. and then we got a one bedroom and basically the living room turned into her room and i had the bedroom and then we lived in a different one bedroom and we switched that cuz she's like enough already like i i, I require a bedroom and i was like it's fine i'll be i'll be fine here near the terrace <laughs> and then Yeah. And then I remember I was 12 years old and I was starting to like make, you know, I was just starting to, I did the Conan O'Brien show and Rosie O'Donnell and I'm like, oh, maybe this could work out for me. And we went broke again. And I talk about it in the book, like the book, I don't know when the veil of adolescence falls and all of a sudden you're like, oh, like life is unjust. Like life is unfair. This sucks.
1: You started to feel that.
2: Yeah. It was a really rough summer of like 1998. And I just was like, I need to do something about this, not pushed or prompted by my mom, but more so like, I don't wanna be this powerless. And at the whim of my mom's career, cause it's too up and down, she's doing her best, but I just don't wanna feel this way anymore. And I think I saw that that was an inflection point where I really doubled down on, on acting. Really? And stand up, yeah.
1: And so what was the first thing that you remember going, oh, thank God. This is going to bring some money on the, you know, back home.
2: Well, I had a Jew, I had, you know, Jewish grandparents and, and um, aunts and uncles who were all like, this is cute, but you know, this is a hobby, right? This is no way to live what you're doing.
1: Really? They thought that about acting in general.
2: Yeah. They were like, you'll do this until you go to law school. Right. And I was (laughs) like,
1: Uh, no, it's probably
2: not (laughs) who's paying. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) And I, I remember that summer and it was really tough. And my mom looked at me and. You know, I was going to go from my elementary school to middle school in my district, but we didn't have a district anymore because we had to move in the middle of the night. And she was like, you know, there's that performing arts high school on the west side near Times Square. You should audition for that. Like, I think you would, I think you'd you'd love it. And I went there 10 days later. What did like, you have to
1: do? Give a monologue?
2: No, I did. I did five minutes of stand up <laughs>
1: <laughs> for the vice principal. Wow. Shout out Miss Bruno. Miss Bruno.
2: You know, she had the eye.
1: She had the eye of the tiger, <laughs> the eye of the, of the talent. <laughs> of the the baby talent. Yeah, the baby talent.
2: But I walk into that school and all of a sudden I'm surrounded by these kids who are on Broadway and they're on TV shows and they're making grown-up money. I was like, that girl has a car. I was like, like she's 16 and she has like a car in New York. That's impossible. No one has a car in New York.
1: So you didn't feel like you fit in really, did you?
2: Well, what I felt was like, oh, maybe my aunts and uncles and grandparents are wrong maybe you can do this and make grown-up money so it was a bit like it basically at every turn whether it was that moment or when i got my first tv show it it was a level up it was like oh i'm gonna really have to dedicate myself to this now if i want to operate at these kids
1: level and you were intimidated or you were just like i i'm not intimidated i'm ready to fucking get there
2: Oh, yeah, I did. I think I did more extracurriculars that year because, like, I'm in this fun house for weird musical theater kids. So you got in.
1: You got into the performing arts school. Oh,
2: my God. I'm in (laughs) and I'm doing, I was like in choir, in dance, in vocal, in in drama classes. Everything. Oh, I just was like, you were never home. You were always at school. It's the best. I was the after school kid. Like, before this, my mom would drop me off at the YMCA and um, or she'd drop me off at school, then we'd go to the YMCA till six. So I was out of the house from eight to six Man, every day. and you loved it. I was heaven. I was like, who, another round to kick the can, anyone? <laughs> Brothers really? and sisters. And
1: how old are you, Nine, ten.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, that was, yeah, and it worked for her because she had to work. Right. You know, I mean, I have a kiddo now who's three, and like, I have a wife, and I've got a lot of support, and I'm still like, ah, it's not enough time in the day.
1: Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so you, a lot. So- so you're going to this performing arts school, you've got this agent, Sid Gold.
2: God bless him. I'd moved on, sorry. You moved Sid. on
1: already from Sid. What can I say? I mean, you were only with Sid for a for a year, maybe. Maybe. And you moved on, was he very upset?
2: I think he's, he's my a buddy of mine. The other day was like I I, I was rep by Sid Gold too. He got me like a TV show. I was like Ah, oh, I should have stuck around. Everybody a little longer.
1: fucking leaves Sid Gold. What is that? And he's still going. These people leave him. They come into his life. He helps them, <laughs> and then they just let go of him. Who do you know that remember the name of your first agent? <sighs> Oof. Or, there, or there, the there, there was one um, Arthur Arthur something, but I remember. I told him that I'm gonna go with this other agency. Ooh, and I remember I called him and I said, "Hey, God, what was his fucking name?" And I just remember him going. He, first he goes, "Hello," <laughs> I go, "Hey, it's Michael." Rosemont goes, "Michael, how you doing?" And I'm like, "Good. Listen, I just wanted to talk to you. Um, you know, I there's this uh, you know this other agent that's pursuing me, and they've got this commercial department. He goes, "Go for it. Fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Um, how healthy. Just was like, fuck you. Was he in a,
2: a, a one-man shop? Like He was
1: kind of a one-man shop. He was like, fuck you. Go do whatever you want. He was so insulted that I would consider another agent. Of course. It wasn't maybe as blunt, but it was pretty like, hang up the phone. And I, I remember going, wow. Yeah. I guess uh, that wasn't right for me. I wonder if Sid Gold got pissed off when you left and was like, fuck you, Josh. Piece <laughs> that, of shit.
2: I was getting $40 a, a night at Caroline, Caroline's. So and he know. was
1: getting a percentage of that? Four bucks. He was really getting, you would send him money. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want your four bucks, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I want that, uh, The was it, an Acura? What did you get, the car, the free car Acura, later nice. on?
2: MDX, the, the full-size sedan. Really? Or SUV, SUV. Jesus, so lucky. I mean, and technology package, nice nav. <laughs> <laughs> nice navigating system. <laughs>
1: inside of you is brought to you by patreon that's right patreon listen guys patreon helps the podcast survive it's people over there my patrons who give back to the podcast a little bit more and there's so many friendships that have spawned from this and relationships people on patreon that support the podcast and uh, i really appreciate it but it's built an incredible community Uh, if you want to get early access to episode content check out the patreon if you want to interact with fans of the show check out the patreon if you want to get exclusive access to have your questions asked during the show uh check out the patreon i mean ryan heck if you just love what we do and you want to keep this train rolling check out that patreon uh it doesn't take much to get involved and i'm there all the time i'm chatting with folks and uh, putting together live hangouts um i literally could not do this like i said without my patrons so to get more involved in the community Today, head over to patreon.com slash inside of you. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patreon.com slash inside of you. And I will message you right after you join. And I am excited to see your name. Uh, patreon.com slash inside of you. And I will see you there soon. So your mother at this point, and you're taking all these classes and extracurricular, she's seeing something. She's like seeing this love, this passion for it. Yes. And she knew she you not know then that you know you're going somewhere.
2: You know, when I eventually, a year later, got offered this TV show in California, and basically I had to leave my whole life to go do that. What was that? It was called the Amanda Show with Amanda, Amanda Bynes.
1: Amanda, how is she to work with? She's the the greatest. Was she really the greatest?
2: Again, much like going to this performing arts high school, I show up and it's a sketch comedy show, and she's a, she's like the Carol Burnett, and I and of course they ice me right away, which I don't blame them for but i had been sort of put i had been highly suggested that i get this shot from the president of nickelodeon who had met me a year before and was like you got something you're funny and as you know producers love being told what to do right and they were like okay and they took me but they didn't know so i was relegated to waiter number three (laughs) in sketches oh boy but instead of being resentful i was like embraced it Yeah, and I just watched her. Because I'm like, we're six months apart in age, but you are like decades ahead of me in ability. And I just sort of studied her. Instead of being pissed, I was on the bench.
1: Did she like you? I think. Or did she not really was aware of you? She wasn't aware of you. As much as like, I don't. Well, you were the third waiter. The server. Yeah, I remember you. You you have something.
2: Yeah, you like the snack table.
1: (laughs) You still like the snack table at that point? Oh,
2: that's when I really started doing damage. I'm like, this is free? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that this is this is good. We get free food, you know, as much food as you want. and no one ever complained about your weight, like any producers or directors, or they just embrace it. Like, yeah, let him be the uh, overweight kid.
2: Oh, they loved it. I mean, I was especially in the early two thousands. Like, I was fulfilling a, a niche, like a thing, especially in like YA or kids TV. There was always the fat friend or the fat bully, and like that was a, a big part that was sort of my inspiration or or motivation to lose weight was like, if I really want to act, I'm being relegated and stereotyped into these like two parts. And it doesn't seem like the writing parts for people like me that's anything more than this. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously so much better now. And I don't mean I think some people might read my book and think I speak hyperbolically about myself or or I'm taking the piss out of myself too much. But it was it was truly a different world. Right for a guy who looked like me at that time.
1: Right. And this kind of led you into when you did Drake and Josh, it was sort of the same thing.
2: Well, yeah, Drake was, so Amanda was on All That, which was like All that, SNL right, for kids. Right, She got Amanda show. Drake and I were on Amanda show and we got our own show a year later.
1: They liked you guys that much that you just blossomed on the show. Yeah. And you got your own show.
2: Yeah, they called the guy who created All That and Amanda show, this guy, Dan Schneider. And they were like, do you have another, like, buddy comedy idea because he had made Keenan and Cal, And he said, nope. <laughs> they were like, great. Well, if, if you have an idea, let us know. And Drake and I are doing a scene towards the, the last episode of the season. And this guy, Steve Malaro, who's now, you know, huge writer and, and producer for Chuck Lorre, he goes over to Dan and goes, um, don't they want you to write a buddy comedy? And he said, yeah. He's like, it's those two idiots. <laughs> like those really? two. Really? He's like, that's your bu- those are your buddies. And six months later, we were on the set of Drake and Josh.
1: Were you, were you shocked that you are getting your own show? Seemed like that's how it worked. Like, oh, this is how
2: Hollywood works. Like, you do good on one show, and then you get your own show, at least for kids' TV.
1: And your mom is in L.A. with you because you moved with her from New York to L.A. Yeah. She's there to support you. We've
2: got a two-bedroom apartment at the Avalon. I'm talking amenities, like a racquetball court. Um, what a treat. Carpet carpet nice carpet a fridge with the ice dispenser like we could not we were literally happy we could not believe how good our life was
1: and how close were you with drake at that point very very tight very good friends
2: no we never we i think what was always we were naturally just kind of like we had a brotherly type thing where it was either we were close or or we were really not but what we could appreciate about each other i think was like there's some magic here, like something works between us. I remember not to like compare to true geniuses, but Don Rickles has this great quote about him, and um, um, oh my God, I'm Bob
1: Kilmer no, his
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> his partner Bob Newhart, oh Newhart, well, of course, and he always said, "Here I was, this Jew from Queens, and is that is a ice cream?
1: no Chuck it's in. a it's i never turn it off it's the cuckoo <laughs> clock cute yeah so if you hear the cuckoo clock it means it's a really good episode
2: love it everyone yeah. it's noon yes.
1: no, is it? <laughs> it? it's uh it's it's almost noon perfect
2: yeah oh you have a cuckoo clock for like 11 <laughs>
1: yeah it's, it's off, it's, it's, off. <laughs> it's off it's off i i it really is it doesn't work right it's just it goes off whenever it wants to
2: that's even more fun. yeah
1: but i need to turn it off <laughs> but go ahead new heart
2: So, and uh, Rickles has this great quote about him in Newhart where he's like, here I was this like, you know, Jewish kid from Queens and he was this, you know, Catholic guy from the Midwest, came from totally different backgrounds, but something about us together worked. And like Drake's a, you know, some kind of Christian from Orange County and I'm this chubby Jew kid from New York. But like somehow when we got together, it It worked. It worked. It worked.
1: But you ne- didn't necessarily get along or liked each other or hung out. It just worked. It just worked. But did you go home and say, "Mom, I just really don't like Drake. <laughs> He's just a real asshole. He's so mean."
2: <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> I, sometimes I mean, and I'm sure you said the uh, some version of that about annoying Josh Peck. <laughs> I can't stand right. him. Always eating all the snacks.
1: Right. <laughs> it's
2: like <a> enough <laughs> already. Have some self control. <laughs> some control. <Peck. laughs> I'm trying.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: But it was, yeah, and it, it, you know, we made people. I think think we did a lot more of it, but we only made sixty episodes over like five years.
1: But what were they paying you then? Oh, I want to know. So this. Fun. I'm, I'm curious. To, I, it's not much, is it? So I think at the height of it, we made ten thousand
2: an episode. Or at the 15, height, fifteen.
1: I, I, I when I, it became kind of, I guess it lasted sixty episodes. How many seasons is that? Four. Four seasons. So by the okay. four seasons, you're making ten, fifteen grand an episode.
2: I think like the median I say in the book is like, when all is said and done, I think we, it averages to about 15,000 an episode. And I I only – because it's gross to talk about money except for I think the misconception is like if you are on a show. Yeah,
1: that's why I want to talk about because I think people assume you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars. You're on a show. You've made it. And that kind of money, as much as it sounds, in the $15,000 an episode does sound like a lot of money to most people. But you take the taxes. You're in a tax bracket. You take all the agents and the managers and the commissions and you're left with about six – and you're living – Yes. You're living you have to live you have to pay for your apartment so at the end of the you, you like four thousand yeah that that money goes by quickly that's why you think how did this guy get broke right he was on a show for four years because he really wasn't making that much in LA to live in la is is very expensive yeah so I always I'm always curious I'm always curious like how much did they make on, a, on like a, a kid show like that you know but, but and yeah. no
2: residuals
1: no residuals i love
2: telling people that i don't know that's bullshit i think i'm like one of those weirdos who likes to tell people like someone's passed away like you know fran
1: passed john died yeah oh i didn't ask you that yeah i know
2: i know but you should know
1: yeah and fran they died together
2: (laughs) i love telling people about no residuals in kids cv because they all have your reaction they're like how how
1: how yeah, people always think it's like, oh, Hulu just bought Smallville. You must be making millions. <laughs> I don't think I've gotten one check. Really? Not nothing. Streaming—they haven't figured streaming out yet. I don't. I don't think so, dude. Streaming is so.
2: And I. I got to give respect to like Netflix and every gigantic streamer. It's the most beautifully gangster move of like a oh, corporation. Yeah. We don't understand it. <laughs> we don't know what to pay you. We don't know. This is just. Yeah, and we you, and we're not gonna tell you whether you're doing good or not because that gives you leverage. <laughs>
1: What do you get into in your book briefly about uh, Drake and Josh? Do you get into the dark stuff at all? What do you mean? Was there any dark stuff while you're filming that? Was there anything that you remember that just, you know, uh, you saw some things that you as a kid, you probably shouldn't be privy to?
2: I mean, what I really talk about uh, Drake and I specifically, and it's really just like the way in which people marry themselves to you when they fall in love, like the people fall in love with the first image they have of you. And it really sets the tone for the way they're going to think about you forever. Like Steve Carell's the man, one of our greatest actors, most people will think of him as Michael Scott forever mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. Cause they, that show is so beloved. Right. And so with Drake and I, like I said, what meant the most to me was what this show meant to other people. And because it was in reruns for free forever,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: like I'll still at 35, having not shot an episode of that for almost 20 years, have new kids and families come up to me and talk about how much they love it. And it's a testament to the show that it sort of had that lasting power. But so no one to me had to ever know that Drake and I weren't exactly close.
1: Right, you Um, don't talk to him anymore at all, right? I
2: don't, but I got married a few years ago and I didn't invite him because we're not close. And And he didn't like that. No. And he took to the internet and basically like, I think he wrote an innocuous shitty tweet that then caught fire. And he leaned in completely when he saw how outraged people were. Cause they're like, no, you guys were just sharing a room last week. Like that was 11 years ago. (laughs)
1: Jesus.
2: And I was like,
1: so they got down on you.
2: Oh, crushing for a really long time. Since then, people
1: I think have actually, you know, That's hurtful. That's like, I didn't invite you because we never were really friends. And people don't know that. And it's been 12 years. (laughs) We don't talk. My wife's Irish. She's got big family. Yeah. (laughs) I have friends (laughs) I see once a month and I didn't didn't invite them.
2: Of course. But you know that. And I know that. But like, you know, the Twitter mob did not understand that. Yeah. And mostly I was just outraged because I was like, my wife's a private person she's not an actor and she's supposed to be in the afterglow of like this very special event and she's being shit on by 12 year olds who are like calling her yoko oh
1: boy she broke up yeah crazy crazy did you ever tweet out and say fuck you I didn't
2: because I I had some really great counsel in that moment, moments where I was like ripping my hair out where I'm like, why am I the most famous I've ever been for the worst thing ever, right in this moment? Like TMZ never gave a shit about me, but somehow they wanna talk to me right now. And my friends were like, well, what would you say? And I I much like I just said, I was like, I'd tell the truth. They're like, so you're the bearer of bad news. Like you're gonna be telling the world that you guys were never close. They're like, you can't, you won't win. You're right.
1: Wow, I never thought about that. Yeah. He was right, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, they were like just shut up and they're like reasonable, pe- reasonable people will know it and even people who are outraged now over time will be like, "Uh, actually that kind of seems Jeez. whack."
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't think about that, but wow, it's like people's <laughs> perception of like, you know, when I was on a show, they they they'd They don't want to know that we were actually arch enemies, (laughs) you know, that, you know, they don't want, they don't want to know that they want to think that we, you know, like maybe we were, I don't know. I don't know what people think, but I, I think they like that we're friends. We are friends. We become stronger friends. The opposite of you guys. really. Yeah. We've become stronger friends as the years go on. Um. We're doing a couple projects together, and that's awesome. But you know, but that's not for everybody. There's a lot of people I've worked with that I I wouldn't invite to my fucking wedding.
2: Would you say it's more? I mean, you've worked so much and done so many cool things of all different types and huge things and indie stuff, and like
1: shitty things. Same here. We've all done shitty
2: things. Um, but nice house, right? Sometimes yeah, hey, the I'm shitty things grateful. pay for the house. Very grateful. I'm doing something cool next month. Pay nothing
1: beautiful look (laughs) at these beautiful shore mics that we're using gorgeous yeah they're great (laughs) joe
2: rogan approved yeah exactly (laughs) um but would you say like i find like that's the rare occurrence like i've maybe collected in 20 years two or three people from projects from like i love them they're a big part of my life yes everyone else nice
1: that's the same with me yes there's, there's a couple people that i'll talk to here and there and i like talking to but you know i don't talk to them constantly right and it's nice to catch up like for instance Kristen Kruk, who's uh, Lana Lang on Smallville. Sure. She and I, we're friends. Mm. I consider her a friend. But how often do I see her? Maybe at a convention signing an autograph? Or, you know, I ask her to do my podcast, and she's very sweet, and she'll, you know, uh, she'll do it. Mm. Um, if she asked me to do something, I would do it. If she needed a favor, I would do it. But we don't see each other all the time. But yeah. we're, you know, I consider her my friend. Yes. But, um, you know, there comes, there's most of the people that you work with are just like, whether you like them or you don't like them it's just it, it's work yes. it's work and you you work with them enough and you really there's nothing else or you don't have anything in common or there's just you have d- different lives it's camp it's camp, camp and people don't people don't understand that but yeah when did you uh decide and why did you decide to lose all the weight and this is again this is in the book yes this is all in the book
2: yes happy people are annoying happy Hi. people <laughs> are annoying which
1: you guys i i can't i can't wait to read it now i'm so glad that we got to talk because I find this really interesting. This story is something that a lot of people don't know about this world and growing up with a, a single mom and not having the father and, you know, Finding a spark, finding something you like with stand up and then, you know, it, it takes you out to L.A. and you somehow get your own show after being the, the third waiter on the left on the Amanda Bynes show. And it's just this build up in the story that I think would make a great movie if yeah. you can condensed it. So I urge you guys to check that out. But um, Thank you. So when, when did that time come where you like, did someone tell you you need to lose weight? Did you think like, I want to lose weight? I want to look different. What was it?
2: I think there, you know, I was 17 years old and on yet another road trip with my mom and I, I, there was, it was sort of this perfect storm, which was I'd been incredibly insecure and in many ways what I find my, my saving grace now when people are like, oh, you're pretty normal for an actor at 35 and I'm like, well, at the moments in where my ego could have completely got out of control, I was a hundred pounds overweight. So constantly i was like don't get too hyped about yourself look at you and so wow. every time i could have gone to a party or a club or something cliche i just was like i'll just stay home and alphabetize my dvd it's like
1: that's sad yeah that's sad it really is it's, it's a shame it
2: was I, I it is and i i just knew what the, there was this moment at 17 where i was like i missed some stuff like some pivotal things i can already
1: tell and, and you've also probably saved yourself in a lot of ways because you could have gotten into some deep trouble. You know, yeah. you start going out with all these kids and partying and you see what happens. No offense, but like you see what happens to some of the people you've worked with and totally. then shit happens. And so maybe not being around that saved you in many ways.
2: Yeah. I mean, that would come for me a year and a half later.
1: <laughs> but I, <laughs> right,
2: but I, uh, but what was a real turning point was when I was 16, I did a movie called Mean Creek. Right. And it won Sundance and I was playing a, a overweight bully, but it was the first time that I was playing a real person. And what you come to learn in the movie is that he was this beautifully tragic character who was deeply insecure and and had learning disabilities and really just desperately wanted friends. and And it's this beautiful sort of executed movie, and the response was unreal. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm truly. You know, people would always sort of, there was always always a caveat to if someone gave you a compliment about Drake and Josh or something, because they'd say, oh, but that's just you. I mean, it's literally your name. Right. But this was like, oh, you're-
1: Your character. You're doing something This is here. something, right.
2: So I was like, and Judd Apatow wasn't around then, like guys who were giving non-traditional leading men great parts. So I'm like, I can't wait another 10 years for this. Like another part, like this isn't coming around for a really long time. And if I want to be able to really be the kind of actor I want to be, I, I need to be able to transform. And I can't do that at this size.
1: You're 17 years old, and this is what you've come up with. You've, all these things have gone through your mind. Yeah. And you realize I've got to make some changes in my life. Yeah. I want to do this. I want to be seriously taken. I want, and, and I, I want to do other work. And I, I, I want to stay in this business. Yeah. And so you made the decision on your own to lose all this weight.
2: I was so sick and tired. I I remember distinctly saying if I can be a movie star at 300 pounds or normal and go do a 9 to 5 job, I'd rather be at a healthy weight and do that. Yeah. And give it all up. So that was like and I always say, you know, everybody wants a hack or a secret, especially when it comes to losing weight because I feel like no matter who you are, you're contending some in some way with food, and I say, you know, uh, what I can tell you is if you're truly sick and tired, it's a great place to start because I never learned anything on a good day. Like, pain is the great motivator of my life. Unfortunately, you got to get pretty low to finally be like, I can't take this anymore.
1: How hard was it to lose all that weight?
2: I mean, I think I was like the first 10 year old on Atkins, so <laughs> I had tried for years, right? And I would just you know, I'd lose five pounds in two days and then put it right back on. Cause like it was not sustainable. Right. So those, I remember I was, I went back home to New York for the summer for two months and I just walked the city. Cause it was like the only thing that didn't hurt. And I would eat better. And if I screwed up and had Mr. Softy one day, cause it's a summer in New York, I wouldn't let it ruin the whole week. I would just say, just live to fight another day tomorrow. And suddenly, and I would plateau, but, I mean, and and I'm vain, so you go from 300 pounds to 260 in a summer, two months, people start really going like, wow. And then, you know, you drop the next 40 and the next 40, and suddenly they're like, who knew? Like, there was like a- Was an- it
1: exciting? Oh, yeah. Did you like the transformation? Was it all just like, as hard as it was, did it feel like, this is working? This is, people are seeing me differently.
2: Oh, Yeah. Uh, dude, I remember I went to the I would go to the mall. Once I got under 200 pounds, I would go to the mall and go to all the stores I dreamed of wearing their clothes like oh. Express. <laughs> and the Express Gap. has men's clothing? Yeah. I did not know that. At a at great rate, reasonable. Shout out to Express. <laughs> I think
1: I knew that. I've seen United Colors of Benetton.
2: Another good one.
1: Yeah, yeah
2: for sure. <laughs> so I would go to Mervin's and Bloomington Co. Factory. No.
1: <laughs> but I would... Again, I'm seeing this in the movie. I'm seeing this scene where you go to all these stores and look in there and you're just happy and you're like, you know, and your yeah. friend comes up to you hey, I'm getting some ice cream. You want some? And he's like, no, I'll have a Diet Coke <laughs> right. or something. And, you know, it's just like, I, it, it's so visual, but it's so, it is, it's got to be an exciting time in your life that you're like, you're like, hey, I'm disciplined. Yes. I'm, I'm doing this and it's working.
2: Yeah. I thought that I had just made it like right before the buzzer. Like you did it. Like you're going to have the, the chance at living life as a thin person. And you, cause that was what I've always resisted being defined by, by like, that's what I hate. You know, I, I, I don't hate it. It is what it is now, but like, I hated being the kid actor, the child actor. Cause I knew that that triggered in people's brains, like for every Zendaya or 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 Jodie Foster. There were a thousand other kids that just you know completely nosedived in front of the public. And so I'm like, I don't want to be in that class. I just want to be an actor. I don't want to be the fat funny guy. I just want to be an actor amongst actors. Right. Um, but yeah, that was that was huge. When I lost the weight, it was it was a game changer. But unfortunately, I was the same head in a new body, and pretty quickly i got to my goal weight and then became viciously addicted to drugs and alcohol which really? took over the next 4 years of my life
1: and how did your mom respond to that was she heartbroken she was like you always overdo it <laughs> like, she so she knew you were doing these drugs oh yeah and she didn't she, she wasn't angry or upset or oh
2: yeah she was heartbroken
1: terrified she was
2: yeah every day for 4 years i don't think she slept
1: what kind of drugs did you do i did them all cocaine oh yeah heroin i no Okay, but, well, that's good, because that could have been the end of it if you got went there.
2: I did. I, you know, I mostly, it, it was a lot of, you know, cocaine and, and pills and pretty much whatever How you old? had. Uh, right when I turned
1: 18. 18. So yeah. you finally get this new lust for life. You're thinner. You, you want to be this actor. You're excited. You love the way people are looking at you differently. Mm-hmm. And you fucking throw it into the fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> you just throw the whole thing down the drain. By doing all these drugs and shit, you just get, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd.
2: Yeah, well, those kids, like the ones who are going to the clubs, I was like, oh, no. take me. I've been, you know, my DVDs are alphabetized. Are you getting late at this time? <laughs> no, I mean, I wound up doing cocaine for the first time because of a girl. Because she was the first girl who had ever shown me any attention. And I remember her pulling it out and I'm at this- Whoa, whoa, what? Not it. Oh, oh the cocaine. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, the pulling the cocaine But maybe,
2: out. you know, I don't know. We never got that far. We never got that far. I'll be honest. Right,
1: right, right. <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> Jeez.
2: The, the book gets really weird around page 120. I'm sure it does. <laughs> <Tactic>. <laughs> um, But no, I, I was at this party and like, I think I'd smoke pot, but that was the extent of it. And I just remember her, you know, doing cocaine with like her girlfriends and I'm seeing it there. I'm like, oh, this is like Pulp Fiction.
1: <laughs> this is like the movies. <laughs> like, this is what movie stars do, man. Totally. You kind of feel that. You're like, oh, I'm in Hollywood and I'm doing drugs. And this is what I need to be doing.
2: Not even that far. It was, this is what kids do. Like, this is what typical. Oh. I've been working towards typical my whole life. And my whole adolescence was besieged by you have to mind your p's and q's don't say anything out of turn do you want another take boss like i'm not those other child actors like i know my lines and i'm on my mark like right like louder faster like am i okay will this casting director give me a part i just want you to think i'm okay i was in this crazy people pleasing you know storm my whole life and suddenly i'm like now looking like a normal kid and a normal teen and i'm like oh they do drugs, and that's normal. And they go to house parties, and they go to clubs, and they show up late to places, and they're unreliable, and that's normal. And I, I died to be normal. And I remember the first when I fir- finally said yes, I had no conception conception that this drug would make me feel any different, that it was extreme. All I thought was, a I hope she's watching, and oh good, I'm normal.
1: Isn't that, isn't that fucked?
2: it's fucked to
1: think that that's normal like hey i need to be doing this because this is what kids do right this is what everybody's doing yeah it's 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 crazy it's crazy
2: i'm on party of five right now (laughs) like
1: i'm right i'm all those 90s movies what was the you know i'm almost done here because i could talk talk to you for a long time no no worries but this is uh, what was the did you make the conscious effort to sort of stop doing the drugs did you was there a low point where you hit so low that you're like what am i doing Oh, yeah. What was that moment? Do you remember the moment or moments? It was a culmination. And especially like in recovery, you hear so many
2: like, you know, um, what's it called? Like white light, you know, utter moments of defeat that are so cinematic. You're like, I wish that was me. But for me, it was sort of this, I was ruining my relationships. I was quickly becoming just like unreliable and... It was just getting around quickly, like Peck's going through something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider him, um, ruin relationships with like people that really could have changed my life. Um, some run, some running away from the police. Really? Yeah, I had the proclivity for calling the police on myself because I thought there was some like incentive for being the first to notify them. <laughs> there isn't.
1: There's they, not. They're still pissed.
2: Yeah, they're still yeah. like, well, we got to do our job. But thanks for yeah, giving thanks for us calling
1: us, you shit. fucking idiot. Who <laughs> is this? Who is this kid? now?
2: I'm like, wow, Beverly Hills PD. Like you're, you, you have quick response.
0: <laughs> like, nice response time.
1: <laughs> quick response. <laughs>
2: um And then. And I just broke my mom's heart on a daily basis, which is corny, but true. But I I talk about this in the book. Like, as I said before, all I wanted to be was a real actor, not a kid actor, not the funny fat guy. And I get this part in this movie called The Whackness, which was about 1994 hip hop in New York. And I was 20 years old and I'm acting against Sir Ben Kingsley, my favorite actor. Wow. And I was like, and I knew I was, I was like, I know nine times out of 10, I'm like, give it to Jonah Hill. I'm like, he'll do a better job. Or like, are you sure Miles Teller is not available? Because I'm pretty sure he'd crush this. Wow. But this story, this guy was like a, a New York hip hop kid, a Jewish kid from New York who loves hip hop. I know how to do this. So the movie goes to Sundance and I'm literally, and I dreamed of this. When I was doing Mean Creek, I dreamed. I'm like, one day I'm going to be back here as a star of a movie and I'm going to look the way I want to look. And there I was. And I was 21 and we do this screening and fucking Tarantino's there. And I'm like, this is it. I've been invited to the table. I'm eating. Like I am here. And I just remember the next morning, I, my eyes start open and I go, I'm getting out of here. And I, I booked a flight. And everyone's like, you nuts. You, you have a well-received movie. It's Sundance, this doesn't happen. Like, and I, I just, as soon as I'd finally arrived at this finish line I dreamed of, I was like, oh, I'd never want to be part of a club that would have me as a member. Like, this is the Groucho Marx quote. Like, it just doesn't, it didn't compute. And what was really rough was I had this realization, which was, oh no, you're bottomless. Like, you tried to fill this with food, then drugs and alcohol, and now like prestige and none
1: of it. Nothing's going to fill the void.
2: None of it. And I got sober two weeks later,
1: two weeks later.
2: yeah. well, I had to make sure I was right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I could drink this thought away <laughs> Wow. And how do you feel now?
2: Oh man, I'm so overpaid. I'm here with you. I yeah, got a, got a kid, a wife, I'm working, you know, I've been able to keep my shit together for a good good amount of time. i'm I'm lucky.
1: Did you ever think you could be this happy?
2: No, oh, no way. I didn't think, I just didn't think that I would ever, you know, a good life as a result of good living. Like my life mimics that of like a good man, but I'm not a good man. I mean, maybe, but like at my heart, like I want to set fire to the city, like deep down. I just want, like, I say this at the end of the book and the reason why I wrote, wrote it at 35 instead of maybe 55, or maybe I'd have some cooler stories was like, I just want to, like, I want to give you a perspective of the halfway point, you know, and- I just said, like, despite the fact that I work now and, and my life is so great, like, when shit hits a fan, like, I think about getting a bunch of drugs and White Castle hamburgers and just seeing what happens. You Jesus. know, like, that's always gonna be in my head to right. some extent. But I've done the right thing over and over enough to where it's like working out. It doesn't hurt as bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it even feels really
1: good. You've, you, you know, you could always say you've, you've done it. Yeah. I did that. And where did that get me, the drugs? Right. Where did all that? How did I feel? And how did I feel about eating stuffing my face and eating and being overweight? How did that make me feel? Yeah. And you start to say, what makes me feel good? Why don't I do things that make me feel good? And I think we all do things that we punish ourselves. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think I've punished myself in the past with, you know, maybe drinking too much or drugs or, you know, or just other things. And ultimately you have to like we said in the beginning you have to be good to yourself you have to be like hey this is this is the life that i've been given i'm lucky i'm here yes what can i do to help other people what can i do to be a better person a better man a better and it's hard to do that yeah but i think that it's it, when you start doing the right things you feel so much better it's did so you, obvious
2: did you have moments when you really started hitting as an actor like those moments of clichédom where you were like ugh Like, do you look back now and give you the
1: shivers? Not only that, but it's almost like I remember those moments where I feel like there's a camera on me (laughs) as I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm, like you said, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. I'm supposed to be doing drugs at this huge A-listers house with other A-listers. And I'm supposed to be, you know, partying with, you know, the producers on this movie. And I'm supposed to be... You're not supposed to be doing any of that. Right. You're not supposed to be doing, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's this idea, this idea that we have of what Hollywood is and how we can fit in. And, you know, the, as long as I've been here and I, you know, I'm almost 50. It's just like, uh, it means nothing. Someone said, what was it? Alan Richon says once I got famous or I became whatever, I still realize there's just, there's still nothing here. That's not the answer of being famous, right. of being rich. That's not the answer to our lives. Yeah. It's meaning. It's relationships. It's connections. It's what you talk about in your book, right? Yes. And, um, you know, hopefully being content, like we said. You know, being content, going, hey, you know, I'm I'm am all right. I'm good enough. I don't need this other shit. So other people like me more. So that, uh, you know, I feel like I fit in. Mm. Um, but I, I, you've been through it. And you've been through so much and I just, I I really appreciate your candor and your, your just, your generosity for being so open about all your shit.
2: Well, you know, it's, it is the weird, it's the virtuous side of this thing. And I, I don't know, uh, you know, you and I are of a similar generation when it comes to show business where like, I feel like we were of the last class of people where social media wasn't a thing and where celebrity was still like mysterious, right? Like the people i looked up to growing up they would have a movie and go on every talk show and do something like kind of buzzy and then right. they'd go away for a year yeah and make their next movie and so i assumed and i think mostly mostly because i wanted to erase my origin story like i wanted to be like can i just burn the yearbooks and start sw- over swear everyone to secrecy right,
1: right right and they're
2: like no asshole like you're you're your books are on reruns uh, Nickelodeon, <laughs> like, like solid that's amazing that's amazing um, but when i embraced my origin story when i was like willing to get vulnerable in order to hopefully be of service to someone else and be like i was there too and and if you're struggling you know i hope i can give you a little bit of a reprieve from that and show you like it's possible that was when it's it, it stopped having power over me
1: yeah that's amazing. Um, quickly, we have shit talking with Josh Peck. These are really rapid fire. I'm only going to give you a couple because we've been talking too much. And, Please. you know, uh, this is this is amazing. And, uh, you know, I never like to do interviews longer than an hour.
2: Uh, well, listen.
1: Right, right, right jo- or Ryan? Mm-hmm. You know how I feel mm-hmm. about that. Agreed. So these are rapid fire, quick questions. Uh, these are for my patrons. If you join slash inside of you, these are people who support the show in many ways. And I love you guys. And these are for you.
2: What's your tears? What do you get if you like, What what's the highest tier do we get? Well, later?
1: you'll have to look at it. Special incentives. You, you, you packages from me every <gasps> Package? couple of months. You know, you get like a box Ooh. full of cool shit. I love there's a Patreon. A, you know, there's, oh, yeah. There's, uh, there's there's stuff. I'm there's signing stuff. up. All right, sign up. Good. All right, here yeah. we go really quick. Matty asks, enjoying your character on how I met your m- father. And you and Hillary have great chemistry. Can you share any fond memories you have working on the show?
2: Oh, man, Hillary's just dreamy as hell. We actually made a movie together about 15 years ago when I was in my drug days and it was this little indie that not a lot of people have seen. And then 15 years later, when we saw each other on set, I was like, I don't know if she remembers that I was in that. And then, <laughs> and then a couple episodes in, I'm like, hey, remember we made that movie together? And she was like, oh yeah. And I was like, good, she doesn't remember. Cause so
1: Hollywood. I
2: was not memorable at that time.
1: <laughs> I was not memorable. I was like
2: in the shadow, just like grinding my teeth.
1: Chelsea C, if you had the chance to work with someone other than Ben Kingsley, because yes. that was like a lifetime change, change of a lifetime. Chance of a lifetime? What you, am I trying to say?
2: You fuck with Ben Kingsley?
1: Is, is that the first time anyone's ever said that sentence? But she didn't She didn't say that, Ben Kingsley. I threw that in there. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, see then. If you had the chance to work with someone you look up to most in Hollywood, who would it be? Oh, man, The
2: Rock, obviously. Really? <laughs> I just look up to him in general as a human. I'm like, how are your Instagram captions so long?
1: That was <laughs> <laughs> his arm so big? Yeah, I just want to do a Jesus workout with him. Christ. Uh, Ryan, do you have anything? I mean, you're the same generation as Josh.
0: <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. How do you feel about our generation?
2: Um, give me a little more.
0: <sighs> Are we, uh, is social media screwing us up too much?
2: Probably. But we're awesome. I, I, I think the corniest thing is taking shots. Like it's become trendy to take shots at like millennials or zoomers i was doing a a podcast the other day and this woman said to me like so you do social media and stuff like what about these kids the Demelios, and all these people on tiktok that are making all this money like what do they even do and i was like i don't i don't want to go there i'm like because i don't want to be that asshole old dude who doesn't get it right like i'm like they obviously have something that has has gotten them an insane audience and I have respect for it, even if I don't quite get it, because I'm They're it's doing not their for thing. me.
1: They're doing their thing. They're making money. They're doing... You don't have to watch it. You don't have to listen to it. No. Right. I I hear you. I could be the old bastard, too. Ugh. I could do the old bastard thing. I think we all can. Um, <laughs> Somebody wrote a
2: great meme for the Super Bowl show, which was you know, Dre and all this like great nineties hip hop. And people were like, if you are hyped about this show, it's time for your colonoscopy.
1: (laughs) I was so hyped for that show. I loved it. I thought it was the best because it was a throwback. It was my generation. It felt good. It was the best ever. Um, Happy people are annoying. Get the book. Uh, How I met your father is on Hulu. You could watch that. Anything else coming up?
2: Um, No, I have this movie called 13 coming out on Netflix sometime this year.
1: Awesome. And what's your handle?
2: Uh, at Shua Peck on Instagram.
1: Are you gonna follow me. I'll follow you. Hey, really? Yeah, let's follow each let's other. Let's do it in front of each other. So you know. I proof. think we should do that. I'll do it right now. Thanks for allowing me to be inside of you. This was a joy, <laughs> dude. Thank you. It really was. Awesome. Thanks, man. Man, drugs. <laughs> drugs will fuck you up, man. Man, drugs. Fuck, drugs will fuck you up, man. Shit. You know, it's it, you either get through it or it just crushes you. And he got through it. There's only two ways. Yeah. You either get through it or yep. you don't. Yep. Right? There's mm-hmm. no kind of, I mean, there's the in and out, but, uh, you know, the up and down sort of in drugs, out yeah, of yeah, drugs. Yeah. But if you're in drugs and added drugs, you never really added drugs. <laughs> drugs are bad, okay? Drugs are really lousy. <laughs> I mean, not all drugs. I don't think uh, marijuana is necessarily a bad drug. No. I think it could help a lot of people. I think it does. Yeah, it helps glaucoma. Yeah. It helps with uh, cancer patients. Yeah. It helps with my sleeping. Great. This whole (laughs)
0: podcast could just be listing things that marijuana does good for. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Thanks
1: for listening again. Thanks for following us at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Please write a review on uh, Spotify or Apple. It means a lot. It really helps the podcast. And uh, I appreciate it. And even if you don't know the guest and you listen to it, or if you're here for Josh Peck, Maybe next week you'll enjoy the podcast as well. You might learn something. So don't just watch for Josh Peck. We hope you stay with us. And everybody out there who's a uh, listener, uh, tell your uncle. Tell your friends. Get them to subscribe. Tell your uncle's friends. Tell your your uncle's friends, for God's sakes. I don't don't know what you want to do. And also, uh, again, the Inside of You online store. Go there. Get great stuff. Um, Also, a big thanks to all my patrons again. And uh, this is one of the perks for the top patrons. You can go to patreon.com slash inside you and I get to read off their names. Mm. So I think we can get into that right now. Sweet. Let's do it. These are the top patrons. Here we go. Nancy D, Leah S, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Nico P, Robert B, Jason. W. Kristen K, Amelia O, Allison L, Raj C, Joshua D, CJP, Jennifer N, Stacey L, Jen S, Jamal F, Janelle B. Correct. Roger S. Kimberly E. Mike E. Eldon Supremo. 99 more. Ramira. Santiago. uh, Chad W. Santiago M. Chad W. Leon P. Janine R. Maya B. That's correct. (laughs) Maddie S. Belinda N. Chris H. Dave H. Spider-Man Chase. Sheila G. Brad D. Ray H. I didn't use my my glasses that are a little stronger, so it's hard in these glasses to see. Hmm. Spider-Man Chase. Sheila G. Brad D. Ray H congratulations ray i won't say why but thank you tab of the t tom and liliana m- L L. A. A. michelle okay correct talia m betsy d chad r chad l mm. rochelle marion meg k trav l dan n big stevie w big stevie w sorry Angel stevie. m yeah you're not boring stevie big stevie w Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Super Sam, Coleman G, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Cody R, Gavinator, David C, John B, Brandy, L, D, D, Yavor, Uh, Camille S, The, C, Joey M, Willie F, Christina E, Adelaide N, Omar J, Lena N, Eugene N, Eugene N, what? And Leah. Oh. Yeah. Chris P, Corey, Patricia, Heather L, Jake B, getting to the bottom here but really the top you guys are not the bottom james b bobbit ed a ed a mate a bowl mm-hmm. it's a bowl right mm-hmm. a bowl f yeah a bowl yeah yeah he's gonna get mad i hope at me so again. i mean he keeps you know I, I have no idea i think it's i'm, I'm gonna say thanks Abel f and here's another one thanks a bowl f keep
0: them both
1: yeah keep them both <laughs> Joshua B, Tony G, Sean R, Megan T, Mel S, Orlando C, Annie, John B, Caroline R, Darren B, and Rob E. We uh, we love you. We appreciate you. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Stay with us every week, please. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Be very good to yourselves. It's very important to be good, good to yourselves. Give yourself a break. Uh, Ryan from myself... Here in, Here in the Hollywood Hills, hills of California. California, yeah. I'm Michael Rosenblatt. I'm Ryan Tazen. And a little wave to the camera. Good night. We love you guys. Thank you for thank you again for uh, joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week.